Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. Every 10 years, the Census Bureau gets to shine and conducts the decennial census to help us understand the demographics and composition of the country. In 2020, the Bureau provided the option for people across the country to respond to the decennial census digitally. The effort was a milestone for the agency, especially amid the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in America that year. Beyond the decennial census, however, the Census Bureau conducts a lot of different activities that gather and provide all sorts of data for decision-making and research. Between these duties and the decennial census, the Bureau's IT leadership have been working to provide the infrastructure, governance, and strategy to sharpen mission work. With us today to provide some insight into the Census Bureau's IT efforts is its Deputy CIO, Greg Skip Bailey. After an extensive career in IT working at the FBI and Justice Department and then running his own business, Skip came to the Census Bureau in 2018. We'll talk about what it was like ramping up the census's IT to enable the digital decennial census collection, how that preparation aided the Bureau as the pandemic ensued, and where the Bureau will go moving forward with its IT activities now that we have some hindsight from 2020. All right, Skip, thank you so much for joining us on GovCast. It's really exciting to get to chat with you and the work you are doing at the Census Bureau. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Of course. So you've been at the Census Bureau for a number of years now, but before that, you started your government career at the Justice Department. So can you start by explaining how your journey working in the federal government began there? Sure. I. Um... Prior to coming to the federal government, I was in the private sector, and I was uh, I was a direct report to a CIO that was uh, I didn't know at the time it was being recruited to the FBI after 9/11, and uh, he was being recruited to help uh, set up, try to improve communication between various law enforcement agencies, and you know kind of from some of the lessons learned in 9-11. And his name is Darwin John. And and interestingly enough, I had held every position that reported to him and was kind of looking for what's next in my life. And he and I had had several conversations about what what I should be doing next. And and then uh, one day he said he had, had a press conference he wanted me to attend. And it was unusual for him to have a press conference. So... I was kind of anxious to hear. And during that press conference, he announced that he was leaving and going to become the, the CIO at the FBI. And I was in the audience, but he looked at me and I knew in that moment I was going to the FBI. Um, and so he asked me to join him. I was the only person he brought with him. And we set off on this adventure uh, in the federal space, which neither one of us had ever really thought about. Um, and so I, I started off by coming into the FBI and I ran the what was essentially the 
IT division at headquarters for uh, for FBI uh, reporting to the CIO at the time, which was Darwin Johns. That's how I got started. After working at the FBI and DOJ for a while, you did leave government for a bit to work in the private industry again before returning back to the census. So what experience did you gain from working in both government and then industry positions previous to your current position? And what made you want to rejoin a federal position with the census? It was good to become the CIO at ATF job. And then after uh, after ATF, I made a decision to go with Deloitte and uh, was uh, a director that was hired as a director at Deloitte. But my client was the federal government and specifically the, the Department of Justice. And so in many ways, I was working with some of the same people I had worked with before, um, just from a different, you know, kind of a different viewpoint. And then uh, from there, I, uh, I ran my own business for a few years at the census. Um, the things that I learned in that journey, I think um, part of it was learning what what I really wanted to do with my career and what I was interested in. And what I figured out is there were three things that throughout my career had been very important to me. And when I had those in abundance, I was happy. When I didn't, I was not as happy. And uh, those three things where I, I need the, abil the ability to be able to act and, and do what I wanted um, or what I felt was best for the organization. Secondly, I like to work around smart people where I had a chance to learn a lot and grow and develop and uh, just, you know, bounce ideas off of them. And then um, finally, and, and maybe most importantly, I really enjoyed working for organizations that had a mission that I could really identify with, that really meant something to me personally. And so, you know, in ATF, I had those. As I went to Deloitte, uh, I had a lot of those opportunities, but probably the one that was missing most was having a mission that was meaningful to me. Now, my clients all had missions that were meaningful, but the organization itself was, you know, Deloitte's mission is essentially to make money and like any other private sector business and um, and quite different than something like Department of Justice or the Census Bureau. And, and when I went on my own, I kind of had the same dilemmas and had less opportunity to work with smart people because I was kind of a one-man shop and and so when I decided to come back to federal government, I had evaluated those three things and looked for an opportunity to, to be engaged uh, in an area where those three things existed. And I found that in a census, I was able to, to do that. Uh, a lot of smart people work around. I have a lot of autonomy. And uh, who could ask for a, a, a mission more important than one that's actually stated in the Constitution directly. So it really fit the bill of uh, filling those needs. Uh, and I think more directly to your question of what did I learn, I think 
I think the value of some private sector experience, of course, I had that before I came to the federal government, but it's the pace with which things can get done. And I think often in the private sector, you're pushed a little faster. Uh, the pace is a little more aggressive. And so you learn sort of the art of the possible, what can be done in, in uh, you know, more important, you know, it can be done in a short amount of time. And it's a little bit of learning the trade-off. Uh, years ago, there was a book that uh, talked about the fact that good was the enemy of great. And it made the argument that often we settle for things that are good when we could be engaged in things that are great. And although I ascribe to that, and I believe that's very true, sometimes great is the enemy of good. Sometimes the reverse of that is true. And sometimes we're trying so hard to get things perfect, we just get really very little done. And uh, sometimes it's important just to get some things done, get them working, then maybe perfect things over time. And I think I learned in, in the private sector, that's, I think that's common. Definitely. I think that your points about, you know, what you want in your career is definitely something I think resonates with a lot of people in government. And then also the pace of which things get done. You know, a lot of people in government right now are trying to adopt different agile methodologies, the sort of feel fast methods. So I definitely see that there. So now that you've been with the census for a few years now, especially right before the the census in 2020, you know, it was the first census to accept responses digitally. So what was preparing for that like from an IT perspective, supporting those activities leading up to the census? Well, it was very exciting. And, you know, everybody was fully engaged. It was, it was really nice to be in a place where there was a sense of urgency. There was the sense of we've got to get this and we've got to get it right. Uh, there had been some fairly public failures of large scale IT, um, you know, areas that uh, we did not want to replicate. <laughs> so we were very concerned that that we remained up the entire time, that we allowed people access uh, when they needed it. And so we really built a strong infrastructure and we worked together with, uh, you know, really across the board with census and uh, the decennial team. The every ten-year census is called the decennial census, and it should be noted that we do over 130 surveys and censuses. Only one of them is the one everyone thinks of us for, but uh, it is a big deal, and uh, a lot of people spend five, six, seven years getting ready for and executing that. Um, my main focus was on the overall health of the organization, although we knew we had to support the decennial census also. And interestingly enough, uh, COVID had its impact because the day that we, we switched and went to, I'll, I'll never forget this, it, it was the day that we switched to 15,000 people being fully remote workers. It was also the peak day of individual response on the, on the uh, census that we were taking digitally. So two very high 
impacts to the network and we pulled it off without a without a problem it was very satisfying to see that uh, nobody went down people were successful everybody's been able to get to where they needed to and we really ran throughout the covid and we're still doing we're still mostly teleworking uh, with very few problems so we're able to adapt and i think the preparation for the decennial census in a way helped us prepare for uh, COVID also. So they kind of they kind of had almost a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit there about what it was like to do the decennial census while also adjusting to the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, on the onset of COVID, especially noting that you switched to a fully remote environment as peak responses were coming in. What was the experience of supporting that? And what kinds of challenges did you face? And you mentioned that you had some of the groundwork in place to sort of support it, but what did that look like? And what was the process of preparing for that like? Well, I mean, had we not been, had we not been preparing for the decennial and making sure that we were very, uh, very robust in our infrastructure, uh, we could not have as easily switched to fully remote. But we had the bandwidth in place, we had the topology of the network, we had the, the access was aligned up. And so it actually was almost a non-event for us because uh, everything was already in place. And so that's why the, you know, the, the two kind of go together. There is, we'd already built out this and we had that much time where a lot of people had a, a good infrastructure to establish that quickly. So uh, we had that benefit of a long-term development of the, of the, the tools, monitoring, the bandwidth, the uh, redundancy was all already in place. And in fact, all we've done since the decennial is ratchet some of that back. Uh, that we don't, you know, obviously once the decennial is over, we don't need as much. So we ratchet some of that back. Um, we didn't really have to increase it at all to accommodate um, COVID. That's fascinating seeing how, um, you know, the stars sort of aligned in a in an interesting way for you there. Now that you have some distance between the decennial census and now, what have been some of the lessons learned in supporting it? And, you know, what aspects such as that infrastructure, the bandwidth, security around sensitive information, or, you know, other kinds of capabilities have you seen coming together to help you along in the future? Well, I think um, security will always be an issue. Uh, as it is for everybody. Uh, we had uh, literally trillions of security attacks without ever being brought down and uh, were able to withstand that. Uh, and, but, but as you know, it, the, the bad guy, the bad actors continue to evolve. So we have to evolve at at least that same pace, if not faster. So obviously security will continue to be a dominant issue. We have a really top-notch security team 
and they're uh, you know we're focused on true security, what's going to really make a difference. And so far, we've been good and lucky. I would say both, and have avoided any uh, any kind of major incident from uh, you know a data loss standpoint, because our our, one of our main commodities is trust. And if we get breached and our trust is violated, then it really hurts us. The other things that, that we learned aren't directly as much IT, but are important. Um, we've noticed for many years, but it was really peaked during the decennial that the country is getting to be survey weary. They're very tired of doing surveys, people are less interested, they don't want to do it as much, uh, we get lack of cooperation. A lot of factors we could go into, which I won't at this point, but that are leading to that, but the fact remains people don't want to do surveys as much. So going forward, we're going to continue to look at sources of data that we can use to fill in uh, areas where we cannot get adequate survey, also to reduce the size of surveys, uh, make sure that we can use whatever we know uh, to help. And that also includes, we've been fairly siloed in our data from one survey to the next, and we're building a data lake that will allow us to share data much more easily that will reduce the burden of actual surveys. Uh, are we ever going to go to no surveys? I doubt it, but uh, we certainly can reduce the number and length and difficulty of the surveys as we leverage data that's available in you know in, in the work environment. Then the probably the the more IT related thing that was really important that we learned is in the past, and this is all decennials prior, but we would essentially build up a decennial organization of thousands of people that were uh, that we would hire or have contractors or we would shift some of our employees over to that group and they would build their own IT organization. We still had the main infrastructure, but a lot of what was run is under this uh, decennial organization. And I think we have a desire to rather than do that in the future, we would rather get our enterprise uh, infrastructure and enterprise organization in such a way that we can just scale up for a decennial as opposed to create a, a one-off organization that would do the decennial. And I think that's going to be a target as we move forward. And then lastly, uh, it's thinking about what we're going to do with the data while we're still moving the data. It used to be, don't even, we didn't think about the data. We just collected it and got it to where we want. Then we started to think about it. And we think we can be much more efficient if we're in the process of doing an analysis and other things as the data is moving, uh, as opposed to, you know, sort of collecting everything, step one, analyze step two, and so on. So there'll be more of an integration as we go forward. So I think those are probably the main lessons learned that um, that I, I'm aware of and that I've been working with. 
I want to keep on the data piece for a minute. That's really interesting, the different aspects you brought up there. So um, you said that the uh, you want to reduce the size of the surveys and draw from different sources of data. So what kinds of areas are you looking to reach for um, to fill those gaps in the data or to help reduce the burden of taking a survey? And also, um, how are you balancing this kind of build out of that effort while you're also trying to um, you know, take on this moving and processing of data? I think it's a good question. We're, we really are trying not to constrain our thinking right now, trying to be very creative. So I'm not sure anything is off the list for potential sources of data. You know, we certainly in the past have used other government agencies' data uh, successfully. And I think we're going to look more and more into the private sector. Uh, as you're probably aware, the private sector has tons and tons of data on, on everybody, a lot more than the government does, which uh, surprises people. And so we can actually acquire some of that data much less expensively than we could go out and collect it ourselves, uh, than where we can do that successfully and we can trust the data then uh, you know we'll do more and more of that. So I, I don't know that we'll. I could say we're not going to do this kind of data because I think we're trying to be open and creative right now, not not shut out things prematurely. But it's really going to be what's the best data source for this, and is it accessible, reliable? Can we get to it? And and I would say the the, the idea of sort of analyzing as we go doesn't really conflict with that. They're not, they're not at odds with each other because the analysis works being done really by a different set of people. And it's more of when you engage them than it is, uh, you know, uh, tied to where the data is or where it's coming from. And I think we can make that available. And this the data lake that I mentioned is, will be a great source of being able to look across various data sources and uh, get the information that's necessary. Right. And you also talked about, um, you know, in your lessons learned, some of the efforts that you have moving forward, but just looking into the future, how do you also just plan to generally help the Census Bureau continue to modernize? What kinds of plans do you have in store and you know, if you had an acquisition wish list of sorts, what kinds of things would you like to implement or procure for the bureau? Well, we, we have a couple of priorities in getting ourselves ready. One, we're, we're really trying to make sure that the government employees get the best training and have the best opportunity to do the kind of work that needs to be done. And so we have a big emphasis on making sure that our, our own people are learning and growing and developing. And that will bring with it a lot of innovation and ideas and things that will, you know, are yet to be discovered. Um, we also have a focus, why that's a focus, we actually are out in the cloud, but certainly leveraging the cloud will be a, uh, a, a major enhancement to what we're doing uh, going forward. The cloud gives us a lot of flexibility 
that we don't have on-prem, but part of that's learning how to leverage cloud the right way. Otherwise we'll spend a lot more money. Uh, you know, we want to leverage the cloud for what it's good for. Um, but it gives you that flexibility and nimbleness that is hard to replicate uh, when you're, uh, you know, on-prem. And so we'll, we'll leverage, continue to leverage that. The biggest problem, obviously, as we move into the cloud world, same problem that's on-prem is that the ability to, to integrate things. Uh, you get a variety of vendors that don't necessarily play well with each other. They may have really good products, but then doesn't play with the other product that you're using. And so if I had a wish list, it would be for something that was a massive integration tool that allowed us to get all of our tools to work together properly easily. So that's that would be the wish list. I don't think it exists, but uh, that's where I would probably spend a wish. Well, something has to happen somewhere and it's good for vendors, I think, to hear this kind of uh, sentiment so that they could bring the solutions to the table. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and um, providing some um, deep dive into the work at the census that you're doing. I think that it's really important to hear about all of the work that goes behind, not just the decennial census, but all of the data collection you do. So thank you so much, Skip, for this wonderful conversation. Well, happy to share. GovCast, along with CyberCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com. 